Welcome to the Successfully Unemployed Show. My name is Dustin Heiner, and I'm here to help you learn how to quit that J-O-B, that just overbroke job by any means possible. It could be investing, a side hustle, freelance gig, whatever it might be. And today, I'm bringing on an expert in self-storage. You know those mini storage places? Well, they make a lot of money, and our expert is going to show us how we can invest in self-storage units and be super successful and be successfully unemployed. All right, let's start the show. Welcome to the Successfully Unemployed Show, the place where ordinary people become extraordinary by finding the path to financial freedom through entrepreneurship, side hustles, and passive income. We've already blazed the path, showing you how to retire early and have financial independence so you will never work for someone else again. And now, here's your host, Dustin Heiner. Hey, what's going on, guys? Super pumped to have you here on the Successful Unemployed Show. Now, you know I love real estate. In fact, I love all types of real estate investing. Could be multifamily, like apartment units. Could be single family. It could be long-term, short-term, like Airbnb. It can even be self-storage, which is super phenomenal to own land, put a box on it, and have people store their stuff inside of it, and you make a lot of money. Now, I make my money. Brad and Butter is in buy and hold rental properties. And so after coaching hundreds of students, I've been blessed to see so many people change their life. But at the same time, I have so many other businesses going on that I just don't have time to continually coach students. In fact, I love having less than 12 students. And the reason why is I like to make sure I know my students. We become friends and I'd be able to show them how they can invest in real estate. How can they can do it successfully and change their life? I don't want to get on a call and say, okay, remind me, what was your name again? And how many properties do you have? I don't want that. I want to be able to know my students. And so I'm actually going to be raising my real estate coaching prices, the one-on-one coaching prices by $1,000. And you're getting this right now, as soon as it drops by Friday the price is going to be raised up $1,000. If you want to start working with me, if you want to get real estate one-on-one coaching where I'll show you literally everything, you can check the link in the description, masterpassiveincome.com forward slash coaching, and then it'll take you to the one-on-one coaching page. There's a video on there showing you everything that you're going to get. Everything is explained on there. I just brought on one student last week, and I really only have two more spots for students. So it's first come, first serve. So go ahead and go to masterpassiveincome.com forward slash coaching and get enrolled to my real estate coaching. As soon as you do, you'll literally get access to everything as well as access to me. Now let's jump into today's show where I interview Scott Myers, who is going to show us how we can invest in self-storage units and not worry about toilets and tenants and all that good stuff. All right, here we go. So Scott, tell us a little bit about yourself. And I love the idea of self-storage and real estate investing for me is just by far the best way to make a living. But tell us about yourself and how you became successful unemployed. You know what? Uh, you're right. For all the reasons uh, we love uh, real estate, um, there is no other investment on, on the planet where you can borrow money to buy it, where it, uh, if you do things right, it appreciates. And then also we can depreciate it. And then if you're in rental real estate, then you move somebody in and they pay down your basis and they pay it off for you. And then you sell it and you've got all the cash. <laughs> it's, you know, there is no other investment out there like that. And so then if you can turn it into a business and, and become unemployed, then that's exactly what we did. Um, I started out with single family houses uh, following the Carlton Sheets method. Uh, bought his uh, home you did. System. You, were, you were the one that, that bought the Carlton Sheets. I, I was the one. Yeah. I, I saw the late night infomercial and I was uh, hooked. I mean, uh, you know, what more could you want sitting down on the beach and just uh, collecting checks all day long? <laughs> 
it's a, it's, it looked like a good gig. Well, um, so I bought a single family house, um, rehabbed it, uh, refinanced it, rented it out, doing the Burr method before uh, it was called the Burr method and bought two more. And then we bought more and more and ended up with about, uh, we didn't have a large portfolio. We had about 78, 80 houses and, uh, but didn't have the cash flow and the freedom like Carlton had uh, talked about. And so I thought, well, well, we'll just double down and economies of scale will fix this. And so then we got into multifamily. And uh, even though there's property management companies and we had property managers um, at the end of the day, and it's still, it's a whole lot of tenants and toilets uh, and trash to take care of. And so we had uh, 400 of those. And then we had, uh, you know, the 80 houses and uh, just thought, uh, well, there still has to be a better way. Love real estate for all the reasons we just mentioned, but you know, how do I get rid of the tenants and the toilets and the trash, you know, and everybody would love real estate if it weren't for that. And so, you know, as you look around the landscape and, and asset classes and then, you know, there's parking lots and then there's self-storage. Those are the only two basically that don't have tenants. And so not a lot of ways to be able to create value in, in a parking lot. And so self-storage made sense. And so I, I started looking into it and, you know, a lot of the skill set transferred over from a commercial real estate standpoint and underwriting and financing and multiple, you know, units um, you know, transferred from my multifamily experience into self-storage, but yeah, eliminated the, the three T's. And so the more I looked into it, um, especially realizing that when somebody doesn't pay you, you can lock them out and then sell their stuff off after 90 days um, and, and get repaid essentially for the back rent and late fees. And you know, once we realized that, then uh, yeah, we were off to the races. So I uh, bought my first self-storage facility with a partner because I didn't have experience and banks didn't want to take a chance on us. And we bought a large one to begin with. And uh, my partner and I stepped into a, a large amount of equity and cash flow out of the gate. And um, so they, you know, the rest is history. As they say, we've, I, I've sold all the houses, um, all our apartments, and then, then just went full bore into self-storage and um, paid uh, my partner out of that facility and then moved on on my own, if you want to call it that. But now we have a, an organization and we've got a two point, uh, approaching 2.5 million square feet and 14,000 doors nationwide. And uh, we are continuing to, you know, in this, um, in this economy right now that we're heading into, self-storage does so well during a recession and we're, we're gearing up to uh, make a big splash and, and acquire more and develop more this year while simultaneously selling off at the top of the market. So yeah, we, we love the biz. Buying a house, a rental property, isn't hard at all. Like, in fact, anybody could do it. You know, everybody's going to buy their own house to live in. If you're going to do it to buy a rental property, it's not that hard at all either. You just make sure you find a house, you make sure you can make some money in passive income, and you buy the property. Seems like self-storage is going to be a much bigger ball of wax. Like, how do we, I'm just trying to think of, how do we even get started doing it? What's the first step that we, to get into investing in self-storage? Is it learning how to do it first or finding a property first? You know, the approach, the approach is the same. It's just, there's, there's more steps and there's a little more, a few more nuances to it. And, you know, ultimately when you're looking to buy a house, you want to find out what's it worth, meaning, you know, what's it worth right now? Am I overpaying or am I getting a deal on this compared to the comps, the rest of the neighborhood? How much is it going to cost to fix it up? And then what is going to be the highest comp? You know, what's going to be the value when I'm done with it? I mean, essentially, whether you're, you know, trying to sell it off or rent it out, um, either way, you make your money on the buy and you need to know how to value it so you don't overpay. Same thing goes for commercial real estate, including self-storage. You know, the, the different steps and the components to it, are, there's a few more because we're really looking at the value of the facility based upon the net operating income. And then we apply a ratio or a, a capitalization rate to determine the current value. And then, you know, if we take a look at the underwriting, well, we can raise rents. It looks like we're 20% below the rest of the market. So we can raise rents on all 400 of these units. And so our income is now this, and we can reduce some expenses over here. So now our net operating income is this. And hey guys, get my real estate investing course absolutely for free. Text the word rental. 
R-E-N-T-A-L to 33777. Rental to 33777. And I'll give you, literally give you my real estate investing course showing you how to find an area of the country to invest, how to build the business first, how to scale the business, buy the right properties, making $250 or more every single month in passive income. I'll literally just give it to you. You can get started investing right away. Text the word rental to 33777. And using the market capitalization rate, we can take this facility to this. And so that's our after repaired value calculation that we used to do in single family houses, although we do it based upon the income and expenses in commercial real estate. So longer process, there's an art and a science to the underwriting. And then also looking at the market, um, it doesn't help to say, well, it looks like, you know, it's only 50% occupied. You know, if I take it up to 90%, here's how much money I'll make. Well, that's fine in a market where everybody's at 90%, but what if all the competitors around, it's an oversupplied market and everybody's sitting at 60% occupancy? Well, um, you kind of blew it right out of the gate if you didn't bother to take a look at the rest of the market. So there's the, the two pieces, you know, we do, we do the underwriting and the valuation on the property differently. But the market is so important, too, to see where we can take it or our ability to take it where we think we can is dependent upon the market. So we've got to get really good at the art and science of both of those. Does that answer your question? Does that make sense? It does. And it also brings up a ton more questions. So the first one that easily comes up, how do you find them? How do you make sure that you find a, because a, we could definitely, like your, the, the ratios and everything like that and running the numbers, we can definitely learn that. But you can't really learn like uh, driving around, like do you go to loopnet, like dot, dot, is it loop.net or whatever the website, like how do you find these properties? So uh, again, similar approach, but but also very different. Um, you know, we, <laughs> the, the person who wins in real estate is the one who gets the marketing piece down. You know, they, they got to beat everybody else to the punch. And and that is a, it's a big, it's an all out effort. So we've got roughly, you know, 10 or 11 ways that we utilize uh, mostly, mostly four or five but you know, 11 different ways that we're utilizing to get out into the marketplace and find these deals before anybody else does. So you know, it starts with the brokers who are our competitors. I mean, we're always trying to buy it before it gets to the broker, but we also have brokers on our team and we work with them. And um, the brokers that, that we work well with are the ones that bring us uh, the deals um, before anybody else, you know, the proverbial pocket listing or darn close to it. But that's because we, we never take a dime of their commission. They're going to get full. They know that you know, we're going to give them a, a solid offer and we have the ability to close and we do what we say. So that's how we get brokers working for us. Simultaneously, yeah, we're doing the same things that they're doing and competing against them. And we're sending mailers out and marketing too, where they say, hey, I'm the king and the queen of self-storage in XYZ market. Uh, we're saying, hey, we're the kings and queens of self-storage and you don't have to pay a broker to sell your property, sell it to us. And uh, so we hope to get to those folks before a broker will and, and tell them you know, that they can get them more for the property, maybe sometimes to get the listing and um, you know, essentially maybe not doing as good a job as, as we would. But at the end of the day, you know, the customer makes the, the decision. We just need to be both places. We need to cover both bases. And then, yeah, it is, you know, we don't, probably the only thing we don't do, Dustin, is, you know, we, we don't have a, a, a magnet on the side of my car that says I buy self-storage facilities and drive around town hoping that <laughs> somebody's going to, you know, call me. But you know what, when I'm out and about, if, especially if I'm in a market going to look at a facility, you bet. As part of my due diligence and my market analysis, I'm looking at the competition and, and I'm, I'm not only looking at them, I'm walking in, open up the door and, and, and creating a conversation with either the manager or hopefully the owner behind the counter and letting them know what I'm there for. I'm doing a market study. And uh, by the way, if you're ever interested in selling your facility, you know, we're, we're buying or I know of people that may want to buy your facility and gathering information. So yeah, we do pull on doors, but more of it is, um, is really a, a concentrated marketing effort of sending the mailers out and uh, direct mail 
And then um, following up, uh, you know, any direct mail campaign is only as good as the follow-up. So we do have people that are um, hammering the phones and uh, hitting these people with uh, mailers and phone calls just to check in with them, build a relationship. And uh, hopefully when, a time, when the time comes and they are ready to sell that um, we're the ones that they call or we happen to catch them at that time when they're considering it. So those are the three main. So brokers sending our mailers out, following up uh, phone calls, um, and, and then just you know hitting the streets, you know any any way possible to be able to get in contact with the owners, um, you know associations, self storage associations in the state, and getting to know all the owners that are there and creating that relationship with them. Um, there's a number of different ways, but uh, those are the main ones. You'd be able to fill your funnel up if you're just doing those. Yeah, and a lot of people make the mistake of just doing one thing, like let's just call up a realtor and have them. No, that's that's that you're going to be. You're, you're, it's going to be hard to find a deal. Now, Scott, I think you might appreciate this. The reason why I started with finding the properties is that's what most people think of when they are doing investing. Like, I need to find it first. Well, that's, in my opinion, in my rental, rental property investing business, finding the properties is like the last step. The first step would be building the business, making sure we can find or fund the property, make sure we can manage the properties, making sure that we're not going to be losing money. There's so many things that we need to do on the back end in building the business first. So talk to me about if whenever we do get a property, I want to start with managing it. How do we manage it and make sure we're not creating another job for ourselves? I'm going to meet you in the middle there, Dustin. And um, just, I don't want anybody to hear this incorrectly because <clears throat> we, we tell people the exact same thing that, that you're saying, but we phrase it a little bit differently because there's many folks that will think that, well, wait a minute, before I even start um, thinking about investing, I've got to have a logo to put on that mill that's got <laughs> best to talk about it. Yeah. So I'm, you know, we're going to have a, you know, a, a little mini forum with the, 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 the moms at the bus stop and the kids, you know, the parents oh, yeah. at the soccer, uh, you know, line, and we're going to get my logo down and then the colors, and then we're going to test market this. So, I mean, you can go too far with that, but um, we also, you know, to your point, we start with the exit in mind, you know, and that is how, how am I, I going to sell this? When am I going to sell it? Who's going to want to buy it? And, you know, are there any, any issues with this? And so that's going to dictate where I'm going to go market to begin with. I, I need to be in a place where people you know, want to be able to invest. Um, but the second of all, or somewhere near the top, as you just said, is management. Uh, am I going to manage this? Is somebody else going to manage it? Uh, we have to have that piece figured out before we even get into it. You know, with, with storage and commercial real estate, you know, we buy multiple states away and we can do that because we can hire third-party property management companies. But people that are starting out, I have a full-time job, I can't do this. Or, you know, it's a smaller facility and it really can't, you know, doesn't have the payroll to support a full-time person. It's going to be somebody part-time and I'm going to pick up the slack. Can I do that? Do I have the bandwidth? And so figuring out that management piece and then you don't, uh, you know, it, it is a little bit different with commercial real estate in that you don't have to have a bank that says, yeah, we'll do that all day long because they'll never tell you that because the success of getting a, a yes from the bank is dependent upon the deal you bring them. They're looking more to the property to repay that loan, you know, the income that comes from that versus you as your credit score and your ability if a thing goes to, to heck in a handbasket and coming after you to make up that balance and, you know, dipping into your pockets. And so, you identify those lenders, as you said, and say, you know, find out who in the market um, where this facility is, or if it's in your backyard, your market, uh, your current lenders that you're working with or others, you know, who like self-storage and say, yeah, we love self-storage. We've got programs and, and we, we do loans on self-storage and we've had very successful projects and we're doing this, this, and this. So if you bring something to us, put it in front of us, we'll, we'll definitely take a look at it. In the meantime, you know, how's your credit, you know, get your, you know, make sure that you have your house in order. And, you know, have your PFS ready, your tax returns, and they'll tell you what you need to have to be able to put together a, a, a plan, a business plan, and then your, your loan package and your loan request. So those things need to happen because you're right, in, in commercial real estate or a larger deal, 
once you go on a contract, there's a whole lot that has to happen right away um, and, and get through due diligence. Otherwise, it falls out of contract. And if you don't have a team in place, if you don't have those boxes checked, you can't go out and start to build your team once you go under contract for a facility or you're going to lose it. You're just it just won't happen. So, you know, there's that there's that balance between getting prepared um, and, and first of all, really, you know, figuring out, you know, how you're going to evaluate this thing and have somebody look over your shoulder if it's your first one to make sure that you're you're not overpaying for this thing and that you know what you're doing right out of the gate because in the beginning you don't know what you don't know. So having somebody come alongside of you, a mentor or bringing in a partner in the in the beginning to march you through those steps. And then sometimes, you know, they already have a team in place and so you don't have to build it out. So that gives you a little extra boost of confidence knowing if I put something under contract, I'm going to get across the finish line because my partner has been through this and they bring some resources as well. I think that there are Three major things in any real estate investing. Number one, finding. Number two, funding. And number three, managing it and making sure that you're running it well. If you have any one of those pieces missing and are not working out well, it's going to be rather hard to do that. So you also mentioned something that people need to definitely understand that uh, when you are getting mortgages for a regular single family home, super simple. Just make sure you have a W-2. Make sure you could, you know, send it over, you know, your, your tax return for your job. Send it over to the mortgage company. They'll verify that you can repay the mortgage and it's easy. But getting a commercial loan is totally different. Totally different. They even not just want to make sure that you have experience. That's number one. They want to make sure you have experience that you're not going to lose that money. But also making sure you have adequate like reserves. Like you need to be able to pay for the mortgage as well as like at least maybe double that. Talk to us a little bit about the funding, the, the mortgage aspect and these commercial loans. Like it's not a regular 30 year fix. It's probably five years. It's got different terms and all that sort of stuff. Talk to us about how we can make sure that we are set up well to buy a property with a mortgage. Credit team and the underwriters, uh, when you present a deal to uh, the bank or any uh, lender, you know, they're going to do a global spread, which means uh, they are going to look at uh, your W-2 income and your credit score and to, to see if you're credit worthy. That, that really speaks more to you as an individual than it does um, really your ability to repay, but it, it is a very good indicator of that. But then they're going to look at the at the project itself. And um, right, roughly what they're looking for, Dustin, is about 1.25 to 1.3 debt service coverage ratio. So the income is coming in, it, it's, it's supporting the mortgage 1.3 times that. And so there is an overage to cover those reserves. Now, if it's a development project, um, you're going to borrow a little bit more for lease-up reserves and you know the carrying of the loan while it's under construction. So they'll build that into it so long as uh, the project on the back end, once it begins cash flowing, um, hopefully it begins cash flowing in year two or three and not year five or six. <laughs> Otherwise, you won't get a loan. Um, but they're going to take all of that into, into consideration and looking at the project that you borrowed enough actually to you know have that runway to get up to that place. But then in terms of the, the, you know, the global spread, they're also going to take a look at your other, if you've got other assets and other investments, are you buying the self-storage facility that's cash flowing to make up because, you know, everything is leaking like a sieve over here and you're losing cash on this other, um, on the other portfolio that you have your other assets. So they want to take a look to see the entire picture to make sure that you have the wherewithal going forward. And they're also going to look at, to, at your balance sheet to determine, you know, what is your net worth? So if you're looking to borrow a million dollars, is your net worth a million bucks? If you had to liquidate everything, you know, would they be able to get their claws into you? Um, you know, if they got nothing out of the property, would they be able to get some of that, recoup some of their money if you personally guarantee and be able to, you know, force you, unfortunately, to sell some of that off to, you know, cover the cost of their loans. So there's all these factors and every bank has, um, you know, roughly the same um, percentages and ratios, but each one is a little bit different. You know, the community banks, the credit unions, the savings and loans, those are the folks that we like to work with the most because they'll look under the hood of your business. They're all about the relationship. Um, they're looking at something long-term 
they want to portfolio these loans. They want to keep them on their balance sheet because they know that self-storage does well during a recession. And um, they're not the ones that uh, the larger lenders or, or the uh, the broker houses that are looking to package them up and then sell them off uh, to Wall Street. So those are the folks that we look at. They look at things a little bit differently. And so um, there's never a second chance to make a first impression. And you should always put your best foot forward and make sure that you have a all-inclusive full package that explains your hero file on who you are, what you've done in the past, and then a clear financials and that you can deliver that in a very short time frame when they ask for it. Because once you go on a contract, guess what? Next stop is the bank. And so you can't take another 30 days to assemble all that. Have your business plan in place. Make sure your financial house is in order before you go out and begin putting out offers. Finding a property manager for a single family rental property, it's not necessarily hard. It's much easier to find a realtor. Realtors are a dime a dozen, but property managers, much less. Maybe like if you can count of you know, all the different realtors are probably 10% could, you know, total number would be actually a property manager. Not saying that a realtor would be a property manager, but there's so fewer uh, property managers. I would assume, and I could be completely wrong, but there are even fewer property managers for self-storage. Like, are they easy to find? That seems like that's one component that we as investors, we need to make sure it's going to be working on a day-to-day basis. How do we make sure that we find a right, a good property manager and hire the right ones instead of hiring the wrong ones that are going to be actually losing us money? Well, I, I've been at this for 17 years, Dustin, and, uh, and I didn't make uh, the best decisions on, on the front end. And I still see a whole bunch of folks that are making bad decisions when they get into the business. And um, probably the number one is that, you know, self-storage, it, it doesn't take a lot of payroll. It doesn't take a lot of management. You know, it's not like a, an apartment complex where somebody has to be there to take sales calls and walk people around to show them the apartments. Um, you know, we got metal boxes on concrete slabs. One, one is the same as the, the next and the next and the next. And people rent these things uh, online, you know, and they see what it looks like and then the inside and they're not going to be surprised by what they get. They're not shopping for school systems. They're not, you know, does yours have a pool? And, you know, they're not looking for any of that. They need a place to put their stuff that's clean and safe and secure, and they want to check it off their list of things to do because storage is demand-based. It's not the same. It's completely different than when where somebody is going to live and where they're going to commune. So from that standpoint, we don't have to have a manager selling people on stuff. And also, it's just stuff. It's not people. So they don't have to be there to you know handle all the work orders. There's no plumbing. You know, There's no heating. There's no air conditioning. There's no paint. There's no maintenance. All those things to go wrong. At a self-storage facility, and you don't have to write letters to somebody for parking on the grass and fighting with the neighbors and having the stereo up too loud on their dogs that's pooping on the sidewalk. So in, in apartments, the rule of thumb used to be 10 hours a week for every 100 units, where storage, it's 10 hours a week for every 400 units. So it, it takes a long time before you get to the place where you need to have a full-time person you know, on, on site. And technology, you know, we can rent a unit by way of a kiosk or by way of a smartphone now. So we don't have to have somebody on site anymore with keypad access. Um, everybody can get into their units. So that, that's the first piece. But then also the mistake that I that I think people make is uh, I've seen over and over again is that they 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 realize that um, they don't they can't afford a lot of payroll, and so they're going to get away as cheaply as possible. So they buy a million dollar asset, $2 million asset. And then they, they hire the gal that cuts their hair to manage it because she's nice and friendly. And <laughs> I want her to do better in, in life. And it's just like, you know what, just because it's a, your self-storage facility, your piece of real estate, you know, to step back and have anybody advise you on this, you know, would you put your hairstylist in charge of a million dollars of your stock portfolio or anything else? Well, of course not. So, but yet people do this over and over because it's just like, oh, 15, 20, $25 an hour. I can get people to work. 
I can get people to work, you know, to sit in the office and just take phone calls and, and, and write up paperwork. Um, but, you know, that is not, that is a caretaker. And that's not what we're looking for. And that's not what you should look for at your facility or any commercial piece of real estate. That the person behind the counter, they're, they're on the front line and their sole purpose is to drive the NOI up. That means that they're reducing expenses at all costs. And, and every single day, they're looking to increase their income at all costs. And we incentivize them and give them pay commensurate to that and bonuses and commissions to drive the performance. People that, that usually, and, and no offense to anybody that cuts hair, it could be the person at Walmart or anything else, but clock watchers that are trading hours for dollars, those aren't the people that you want to have in, you know, in charge of your million, $2 million, $5 million asset that are going to drive the performance of it and ultimately make it either succeed or fail. You know, depending on the size of the facility, you're going to be hiring. If it's a smaller facility, you're going to be hiring them uh, on your own. Larger facilities, you hire a management company, and then it's a matter of vetting those, which is much easier. And they handle all the rest of that. If you've got a facility that's 200, 150 units, 200, less than that, then you are going to be hiring an, an individual and you're going to be overseeing that person. So they... Uh, although, you know, we talk about uh, service related uh, type roles, um, we want the folks that are used to retail hours and that are in a sales role with commissions in, in a retail sales position, but they may be at a manager's level, they may have been, um, you know, running or in charge of a department or at a restaurant where they were the sales manager or catering at a hotel. Um, you know, some of those folks that, that were in the real estate industry, and they decided they wanted to have more flexible hours and not as many hours, they work very well as well. Uh, but it's somebody who is uh, driven by performance. They they have to be good at sales because they have to be you know they have to take care of these people that come into the office. And we are a demands based business. And when people come into our office, um, you know it, we talk about the D's in our business. You know death, divorce, um, you know bankruptcy, and just you know all kinds of issues when that that necessitate a need for storage. And so when people come into our office, um, their hair's on fire usually. There's something that's gone on. You know somebody died and they have to settle their estate. Somebody got a divorce. Somebody's getting separated. Uh, somebody lost their job and now they're downsizing and they're moving back home. And so there's there's lots of demands that are that are kind of chaotic and. Um, people are stressed when they come in. And so somebody needs to take care of them and give them what they need, you know, have a needs assessment based, you know, mentality about them and then just be able to care for them and, and, and do what it takes to, you know, make sure that they're, they're taken care of. And if you can't, then the person has to have the foresight to be able to send them over to our competition. And then, you know, hopefully they will reciprocate and send it back to us if you create that relationship with your competition. So it takes a little higher caliber of a person um, with the sales mentality and, and, a, and a caring uh, nature to run that facility and treat it like their own. Do you just put it like a an ad, Facebook marketplace or like Craigslist or in order to find the right people? It's a you know, 150 unit smaller one you just got to go to the normal spots to find employees we we do referral basis uh, and of course now i've never done this uh, but i know some other folks have what they they may go and try to poach from the other facilities around town and, and make a better offer to do that and uh, and literally i've never done that i would never do that to my competition um but so we put on the, the the usual places uh referral basis is good uh but probably the first step dustin to making sure that you get the right person is um uh, again, we don't want somebody who's just spraying and praying and throwing resumes out there to try to get an you know, additional buck an hour at some place. Um, we'll give them a little homework assignment that's buried within the application process. And if they don't do it, then you know, they don't, they're not our person. And we'll know in the first five minutes when we ask them if they did their homework assignment or do, they, did they do this? If they haven't, then we move on to the next. And so you know, we do a little bit of vetting and, and some of our higher levels, you know, larger facilities, 
that require a bigger skill set. And they're working with U-Haul customers and working with U-Haul corporate. And when we have truck rentals and we have boats and RVs and a concierge service, you know, we're taking care of people's million dollar assets, you know, that are in our multi-million dollar asset. Those folks, we go through a predictive index and uh, we do a background assessment and making sure that, um, you know, their core values are in alignment with ours and they have a, a you know, a, a higher level of capabilities and their high capacity in several other areas to be able to handle some of those other, you know, additional and higher level responsibilities. But Man. it all starts in the normal places and hopefully referral um, to answer your question. Yeah, I found people who are, because it's it's a little bit different nuance with rental properties. You have the property managers are more protecting the properties. At least, you know, people, tenants come to you pretty easily. But when you're having a self-storage, you also need to be a salesman. You need to be able to get people to want to go there. And so I could definitely see that. Now we have finding the properties as well as funding the properties. It seems like it's going to have a large down payment. Is that like 20%? What's the normal terms for a mortgage? So in, in terms of um, how we structure the financial end of this or what we call the capital stack, um, there's, you know, a hundred ways from Sunday of putting together a, a deal. And it's no different in commercial. As a matter of fact, we got a little, you know, a few more tools in our toolbox that we can draw upon. So traditional, you know, real estate transaction in commercial, not a lot different than, than a single family house, if you will. The banks are still looking for, uh, if it's a development project, they may go up to 65% loan to cost, what it takes to build it. Uh, and an acquisition in an existing facility go up to 75, 80% loan to value based upon the historical financials. And then it's up to you to come up with, you know, the cash, the down payment. Well, um, if it's a million bucks, that may be a stretch for some folks. If it's 10 million bucks, it's going to be a stretch for just about anybody. And so then comes mezzanine lending where there's other lenders that will come in on top of the senior debt and they'll come into a mezzanine or a second position. Uh, their rates are two to three percentage points uh, above the bank rates. They're going to charge more fees. And, um, and that's because they're in a riskier position because they're, they're in second position if everything goes to heck in a handbasket. And they're in for a short term usually and then out. Uh, but they'll they'll bridge that gap and go maybe another 10% on top. They're not going to go all the way to the end. Um, you're still going to have to have some cash in it. But the way that we've grown and most people do is uh, by way of raising private equity. So whether you raise a or start a fund and raise capital to deploy in different projects um, or just take the, the facilities down 100% with the, the funds from the fund, that's a, a way of doing it. Um, we have a fund and we layer those funds on top of um, bank debt uh, that bridges that gap for us. And we have a small amount of money in, into our projects. We also do um, single assets, single entity, meaning one facility where we do a syndication and we bring in multiple investors at uh, 50,000 or $100,000 minimum. And um, if it's a $10 million project and uh, we have to bring 2.5 million, then we're raising it from our equity partners who have been working with us and following us for a number of years. And, and they'll invest 50 to 100,000 a piece and some more. And um, that's how we finish out the capital stack or the equity portion. And we come to the closing table uh, with that. Uh, there's a number of other ways without getting too detailed or, or 401 level, you know, doing joint ventures with um, developers, uh, joint ventures with uh, just about anybody else um, and putting together multiple partners on the general partner side. And just, um, I don't want to say piecemealing, but, you know, there's resources that people bring to the table to put a deal together that isn't just money and, and balance sheet, but it has to do with uh, the resources in terms of their development um, acumen, their management acumen, and then maybe owners of some of these companies that all you know put together you know, their resources into a deal and everybody brings a little bit of cash to the table and maybe some private equity too. And uh, that's how, as long as everybody gets the returns that they're looking for from what we project on the back end, then um, you know that, that, that's a good way of putting these uh, deals together. So 
Uh, again, many and multiple ways of doing it, but uh, I don't want anybody to hear that on their first deal that the only way to do this is you know, to buy a $1 million piece of commercial real estate or a self-storage facility that you have to have 250 grand because uh, that is not true. Several of our students that we teach, they can buy a million dollar property and they've got 10, $15,000 um, into it. And they use that from a self-directed IRA from somewhere. So um, there's lots of ways to get into this. I got into the business uh, when I was broke and my credit was shot <laughs> by, by way of my partner. And so um, uh, don't, don't let any of that uh, discourage you and, and think you have to pay your dues before you get into commercial real estate because it's not true. Man, I love real estate. There's so many different ways. In fact, just before this interview with you, I had somebody that came on talking about flipping, but not necessarily flipping internal, but like wholesaling, flipping, hard money lending. There's so many different ways to make money real in real estate investing. It's so amazing. I love single family homes, but and talking to you, I'm like, man, I really want to get into self-storage. <laughs> this is something I want to do as well. And this is great. Now, Scott, I'm going to be on your podcast. So talk to us about how people can find you, you know, listen to your podcast and learn more about self-storage. Yeah, well, it's real easy. Selfstorageinvesting.com. That is the that is the place to find all things self-storage and where you'll find me as well. And, you know, we've been at this for a number of years. We've got a lot of tools and free resources for folks. Um, you know, we've, we've always been of the mindset that um, if we continue to put good education and content out there in the marketplace, um, when, you know, the tide rises, it takes all boats with it. And, and I've seen that happen. It's not just a cliche. And the more that we can educate um, even our competition, you know, if there's folks out there that don't know what they're doing, and, and you've seen that, you and I have both seen this, Dustin, on the housing side, uh, you know, a whole bunch of folks that they don't know what they're doing. They come into the auctions or they start bidding up uh, the price of a house. And they're just like, I know there's no way that they're going to make money on that if they're paying this for it, no matter how good they think they are or how low they think they're going to be able to rehab it for, it doesn't work. And then it makes it bad for everybody. And so that's been our mission from day one. So there's all kinds of free resources and ways to be able to get better in the, uh, in the business and our investments uh, to invest passively with us are, are up there. And um, yeah, just all kinds of content to, you know, get you all learned up on, on the business of self-storage. Love it, man. Scott, thank you so much for being on the show. I really appreciate you giving us so much great insights as well. My pleasure, Dustin. Looking forward to having you on ours as well. And um, anytime you or your clients have a question, uh, about self-storage. Um, that's what we're here for. So we are the company that gives back and um, love to be able to help anybody and everybody that wants to get into this incredible business. Today's episode has been brought to you by the Real Estate Wealth Builders membership. That's the membership that I founded teaching people how to quit their J-O-B by investing in real estate rental properties. Now, Real Estate Wealth Builders is your place to learn how to invest in real estate with five different masterclass courses group coaching with me and a private student community where we all work together, all the tools and the discounts, all the resources and everything that you need to quit your J-O-B by investing in real estate. Now, I do want to show you how to do this completely for free. If you want to learn about investing in real estate for free, I want to get you my free real estate investing course. Text the word rental to 33777. That's R-E-N-T-A-L to 33777 so you can see how you can quit your job that J-O-B by investing in real estate. I'll show you how to find properties, how to use other people's money to buy properties, and how to scale the business to be successfully unemployed just like I did. Now, did you also know that there are video versions of each and every single episode on the Successfully Unemployed show? Well, I did record every single one of these for you. I recorded them for you so you will be able to learn from the experts themselves, see what they're doing, see everything that they are talking about on this show visually 
and all their examples, all their slides, all their pictures that they even draw, everything is on there. Go to successfullyunemployed.co forward slash YouTube. Or if you just go to YouTube and type in successfully unemployed, more than likely you're going to find me. So successfullyunemployed.co forward slash YouTube. And I would truly appreciate it if you subscribe to Successfully Unemployed on YouTube and wherever you're listening to this podcast, subscribe to this show so that you can always get every bit of new information on how to quit your J-O-B. Also, if you got anything out of the show, share it with just one person. Share it with just one person so that they can see the light that it is so much better to not work a job, be successful, unemployed, and be your own boss. All right, guys, this is it for today's show. I will see you next week. See ya.